Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 139. So last week we wrapped up the contest, the MacFab Design Contest, Blinken LED, sponsored by Mauser. Uh, cheers to all the winners and thank you to our guests, uh, judges again. Uh, check out the MacFab blog for more information about that contest and see all the details. Also, keep your ears open for some potential uh, contests in the future. Yeah. And if you have any suggestions for said new contests, let us know in Twitter, Slack, email, wherever. So, Stephen, the Vox in a Box, any progress on that project? Yeah, actually. Uh, so the what we've kind of done so far is sort of define what we want the rock solid parts of this project to be. So we know it's a 30 watt. Uh, guitar amplifier that goes inside of basically a Hammond enclosure, like a Hammond pedal box kind of thing. Are you going to use the wide or the skinny one? Uh, We haven't decided exactly which box we want to, because we actually at work, there's like, you know, probably five or six different boxes lying around here and there. So what, I mean, not, we're not, it's not that we're going to use one of those boxes. It's just, we can, we can like kind of, look at them and figure out which one is the best because we haven't really decided yet what the front panel is going to look like we have some like sketches on a notebook somewhere uh but in general we're right now when i where we've actually decided to do um and this is actually really fun we are making a little test bed for the whole amp because we know the power supplies are fixed uh fixed in terms of like we know they're going to be there yeah you need you need them and you know what the specifications are. Right. And and there's some variability in them with like a trim pot and things like that. But in general, I just know it's going to be there. And and the same goes for the power amp too. The power amp, I know what voltage I'm running it off of. And I it's basically, I know what the LC output filters and all that crap is. So my thought was, I, uh, I was talking to my buddy at work the other day. I was like, let's just make a little test bed that has the power amp and the power supplies in it and has a whole bunch of terminal blocks that we can access all the voltages and ins and outs and things like that. And then we can just breadboard the rest of it. And really the part that we're breadboarding is the part where that actually like modifies the sound of the amplifier. So that makes sense to be the part where you can, you know, put in different resistors or caps or blah, blah, blah. So change it around. Right. Yeah. So we started designing kind of together this little uh, test box, I guess you could call it. In a sense, it's a little, we put it inside of one of the small um, enclosures, the small pedal enclosures. So it's like four inches by two inches. It's tiny. And that has a 350 volt power supply and a uh, 12.6 volt power supply, an 18 volt power supply, and a 30 watt power amp inside of it. And it actually fits fairly comfortably. Um, so, so that's working out pretty well. We're, we're pretty happy with that. And, and one of the, th- one of the main reasons why I wanted to just do that was be- since we're dealing with high voltage, I wanted it to be inside of a box so that when we're actually like breadboarding with it, you have to be very intentional about how you're connecting things. You're not going to have a whole bunch of just like goofy wires soldered to the edge of a board that could have a ton of voltage on it. I wanted it to be. I, well, I also wanted it to be kind of something you could pick up and hold if you needed to and something that has a power switch. So when it's time to turn it on, we can, you, you know, it's just a flip of a switch. You don't have to like hold it with two hands and put a barrel jack in or do all this other like funky 
dexterity-based maneuvers to turn on your power supply. I just want it to be a switch. You don't want to have three arms to prototype this thing. Exactly, exactly. So so uh, I came up with a, with a fun idea for it that I think will make it pretty easy. In the side of one of these enclosures, on the long side, the four-inch side, I'm going to mill a slot that with an eighth-inch bit, uh, a slot in the side of the enclosure, and I'm just going to slide the PCB through that slot such that you know, maybe a quarter of an inch or a half an inch sticks outside the box. And that half inch or quarter inch will have a row of terminal blocks on it, sort of like you'd see on the side of a PLC or something like that. Okay. And those are the only ways you can access the internals and and externals other than uh, a plug-in barrel jack, which is the main power to the device. So like along one side of this little test unit that we have, there will just be, uh, I think it's something like, nine or 10 different uh, terminal blocks. And and each terminal block that I chose is uh, two pins, I guess. Uh, is that what you, what do they call it when you have two sections in a terminal block? Oh. Like, you know how you can get them in multiple numbers? What do they call that? Uh, why am I? Why am I? It's not poles. Poles are in switches and breakers, but you would call it a two-pole, three-pole. Oh man, I can't remember what you're. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, for some reason I can't. I can't. It's not coming to mind. Two two places to put a wire in, basically. Yeah. So what I've done is for every connection, I chose a double terminal block for that. So you can connect. You know, so you don't have to shove a bunch of wires into one. Yeah, you don't have to. You have one per. Right. Right, and and so I kind of also got it such that there's different ways to ground things. So there's one standoff in the middle of my board that that connects directly to the enclosure and that's my star ground everything connects eventually to that point well i also have four different terminal blocks which in other words i have eight separate connections that are all straight wires to that uh, that star ground um so if i want to you know have some star ground and test noise for that i can plug into those terminal blocks but i also have other terminal blocks that don't terminate directly to the star ground. They terminate to other sections. Like I have a ground that connects to the, the section inside the box that is for the power amp mm-hmm. that eventually gets to the star ground, but I have it such that it's a faster path, I guess you could say, or a shorter path for ground. So like, for instance, the signals that get, that get sent to the power amp, I may ground them to the power amp as opposed to grounding them to the star ground. But in reality, all I'm doing is just giving options uh, so that I don't have to redesign a board mm-hmm. to try the, uh, different methods. It's like, oh, if it's noisy, try changing it to the star ground or changing it to another ground and see which one is the best option. And then eventually, once we have the preamp where we like it, you know, where we've breadboarded it out, all I have to do is basically push it onto a PCB and copy the wiring, basically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, just a just a fun little little side thing and. It's sort of educational in a way. Uh, it's 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 just a fun project between the two of us. It, the uh, the other guy, his name is uh, Phil. He's helping me out with it, and um, he's working on on some of the preamp stuff right now while I'm doing the layout. And he's never really done a layout before, so I'm gonna step him through that. And he's really interested in finding out how to actually order a PCB because he's never. He's never done that either. He works on PCBs every single day. He's like, but I don't even have the first clue as to like, what buttons do you press? Who do you talk to? What do you do to actually go from, I don't have a PCB to, I do have a PCB, you know? <laughs> Is he right out of college? 
No, actually, no, no. Uh, he's he's the uh, he was the first employee at at uh, WMD. Okay. Well, I mean, the first employee other than the owner. Uh, so he's been at WMD for twelve years and been working on electronics. He does a ton of tube stuff. Um, does a does a lot of work on the, on the side. In fact, he was. He told me last weekend he was uh, breadboarding up some uh, power supplies just to because he's never done a switch mode power supply. And now that we're both doing one together, he he's kind of teaching himself mm-hmm. switch mode stuff. But he's never just he's never got around to actually making a PCB. So this is his first his first little little PCB thing. So, yeah, he's he's, he's real excited about it. So it's, you don't have anything physical yet. You're just still planning this box. I, I have the schematic all the way done, and I've got maybe 20-30% of the layout done. Gotcha. I, I know what the PCB shape should be like. I don't know all the exact dimensions because I'm not entirely sure how far outside of the box I want it to protrude or anything like that. So I'm expecting in the next couple of days I'll just kind of work on it here and there um, after work and, and then eventually get it. So I'd love to get, I'd love to get everything on order such that we can build one next week sometime. So probably won't have something by next podcast, but the one after that, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's a bunch of fun. So I've been working more on the wagon. Shock, I guess. Uh, <laughs> this is mostly like... Wait, 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 wait. What's wrong with it? Well, this is... I'm still working on the doors. Oh, okay. Like all the electronics and the doors. Uh, I'm basically trying to figure out why like just the rear windows suck. I guess is a good way to put it because they're really slow and I took in them all apart, cleaned them, cleaned the motors out, tested the motors, motors test fine. They are powerful when you hook 12 volts up to them. Uh, But when you put it all back in the door, they're only receiving at like half their voltage when they get turned on. And so I started, you know, going through the schematic, trying to figure out, okay, where are the wire junctions? Like, where am I losing six volts? Something is burning like, 12 to 20 watts of power in this wiring harness somewhere. Whoa. Because you got to think six volts at like, you know, three amps is what that motor's pulling. <laughs> yeah, where's it, where it going? So I started, I, I finally found all the like connectors in the schematic and it has all the locations of where those connectors should be. So I started tracing them and, you know, doing a resistance tests on the wiring harness to make sure it's not the wire is bad. And I eventually came to a, a connector that was in the driver door. So basically all the wiring goes through the driver door because the driver door has four switches. So you can control each door or each window door individually. So everything goes into that. And then they go to the original, uh, to the doors and then to the switches in the doors and then to the motor. So it's a, long chain of wire to get there and i started look i started pulling the connectors apart and they they were looking all fine until i got to one that was kind of like sitting in the bottom and it looked like the color of it was like the statue of liberty Ooh, it had that fuzzy copper green just all encrusted inside the connector so it became a resistor Oh, yeah, that thing was probably it was dumping, you know, 18 watts in that connector. (laughs) (laughs) And so I pulled the connector apart and it's toast. Uh, I tried cleaning it and it made it a little bit better. But man, you turn on the motor and just leave the motor on for a bit. The connector just starts burning up. Uh, So I guess I caught I I caught a a fire hazard there. (laughs) 
Wow. Okay. I get, did it just get wet or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. The inside doors on your car routinely get wet because mm-hmm. the seal between the glass and the door is not perfect. And so water will always go down there. And basically what happened is whoever last was in this door or before that basically didn't put the wiring harness back on its clips. And so it just was sitting in the bottom of the door. And so when water mm. would go in the door, it'd get on the connectors and yeah. Yeah. They might've been sitting in a pool of water. Yeah. Cause uh, like half the drain holes in the doors are clogged up too. So I had to clean those out. <laughs> You're going to have to fix everything on. Oh that yeah. Car. The whole goal is that I'm, I'm going to eventually do a restore on it. So, but yeah, I, are I, you I, not doing that right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm basically just fixing stuff so I can, you know, enjoy it as is. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's so, like I'm not worrying about paint. Like I'm like I find rust and I just grind it off and just spray paint primer over it. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's that kind of restore. Well, for now. And then eventually I'm going to do a full tear it all the way down to the frame and get it all properly fixed up. But right now it's like, let's just take it apart. Make sure everything works. Everything's safe. Rust isn't going to go crazy on it, you know, so it'll get there. Cool. And then more on the wagons that RTL SDR signal defined radio. Yeah, you, you've had some, a little bit of success with that, right? Yeah. So I installed. Well, so last time I was just running last time we talked about this, I was just running like a Windows application uh, to just like look at the spectrum and, you know, listen to signals and stuff. But I actually tried to run it on the Raspberry Pi, and I was successful. Uh, there's the uh, application RTL SDR. I'll put a link in the description, but you can just do like sudo apt update or sudo apt install RTL SDR, and you can like install all the software you need. Hmm. But you still need to do one more step, which is to add like a USB description basically to the. Um, to like e was it etc something something something, all the Linux people are like ah, ah. <laughs> but I'm not a Linux that's exactly guy. what they sound like. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to get an email that's a r r r r r g h. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's doing pretty good. I'm thinking about doing like a live Twitch session, kind of like how we did with your code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do the same thing with this code and like, let's get something working. Ooh, I'd like to see that. Yeah. So like, maybe some people can help me out getting the Python written to actually like do proper control with it. Yeah, we need to schedule that. That uh, the the code review that we did was sort of impromptu in a way. Yeah. And uh, it actually turned out to be really fun and <laughs> super useful because yeah. we actually got stuff working in a short period of time. So I'm, I'm hoping we can have the same kind of thing like, okay, let's just bang out a Python control script for uh, for the RTL uh, SDR device and maybe get our, a serial device talking to the Raspberry Pi to control it. Yeah. So like, oh my God, it's going to be so random. Basically had the Raspberry Pi or the Raspberry Pi plugged into USB to the Arduino, right? Mm-hmm. And then have a button on the Arduino. And then a basic kind of like a when the button is pressed, the Arduino says something to the terminal. Yeah, man, this is going to be 
but you can like <laughs> use the terminal to oh man this is gonna be crazy yeah it, it sounds sounds really roundabout <laughs> yeah because we're going to develop it on the raspberry pi i know i know we can use like the io on the raspberry pi to do it but mm-hmm. the eventually i'm not going to use an arduino i'm going to use a parallax propeller because i already have all the software i need to like written to control the screen i want to use right and it's also going to have, I want a really, you know, fast updating uh, interface. Uh, and Raspberry Pis are kind of slow on the IO. Even though they, ha- it has gotten better, but it's still not like embedded system style. I've never um, tried to use the, the GPIO on a Raspberry Pi other than a temperature sensor one time. But it wasn't anything that I wrote. It was it was some kind of just basic plug-in where it says plug your temperature probes into these three pins and then stuff starts showing up on the screen. It works. And I never really like doing – I shouldn't say I don't like doing it. That's fine and all, but I have no clue what's happening, so I don't feel like I you know, learned anything. I just – I just followed a manual and plugged things in, you know? So I don't even know, like, what do you do to <laughs> access the GPIO pins on a Raspberry Pi? I mean, can you just access the pins right from a terminal? Kind of, yeah. There's a built-in application that allows you to do that. Mm-hmm. And but how it works is it actually writes. It's kind of, think about like how in an embedded system or a microcontroller, you write to a register location like R1. Yeah, right. Right? Uh-huh. So how this works is the Linux system writes to a file and then the hardware subsystem, if I, if I remember correctly, and basically with the hardware subsystem, when it gets around to it, we'll look at that file and update the GPIO. So you don't actually even control that at all. That's just some binary blob does that thing. Really? Yeah. So, so it just has like a watch. Well, watchdog's not the right word because that means something else. But it has it has some code that sniffs that file on occasion. Yes. And updates its output registers. Correct. Ah, okay. I didn't know that. That doesn't sound. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't sound. I don't like the idea that you don't have control over that. You know. Or or maybe maybe it's fast enough that you don't care. I think that's what it is. It's mo- it's fast enough for most people, so they don't care. Yeah, but it won't be fast enough to basically bit bang drive the display I want to use. Sure, so. sure. I don't know. See, that's why I always like about writing firmware for microcontrollers is when you tell the microcontroller to do an action, you're saying like a low level action, and the duty of that microcontroller is to execute that action. There's not a lot of crap in between that action and the result. You know. You only have one function, this code. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Oh, my God. <laughs> so on to the RFO. Yeah, let's do it. RFO. Quite a bit RFOs this week. Yeah. So the first one is on Twitter. I saw this and it was really cool. There's this group called SQFMI. I don't know if that's a person or a group. I don't really know too much about the people who designed this, but this is really cool. It's called Watchy, and it is a e-ink like smartwatch that has an that runs off a ESP32, has an accelerometer. It supposedly has 25 days of battery life, mm. has Arduino support, and it's open source. And it's a they said that they're working on it and it should be out soon-ish. The uh 
there's more details in that Twitter thread, which is really cool. And they have uh, the, these are the same guys that made the badgy, which is like an open source conference badge design, kind of like a re- it's it's their stuff kind of looks like reference designs from like a company. Yeah, uh, how it's set up in the documentation. So I'm I'm actually looking forward to this watch just to just to see where it goes. I like the uh, the display. It looks really nice. At least I guess there's only one image of it so far. This is their Twitter uh, sampler image, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I like the way they did that e-ink display. It looks really nice. And it looks like, because most of the time when you look at like uh, homegrown DIY smartwatches, mm-hmm. they tend to be kind of bulky. And I even think like, uh, like the Apple watches are too bulky, like they're too thick. <laughs> they have a lot of stuff crammed in there. Yeah. Whereas this thing looks pretty like low profile and like thin, like a watch should be. It does. Yeah, it really does. But I think it they're probably able to get away with that because there's not nearly as much stuff. Yeah, probably. And really this the the the, the decision to go to an e-ink display really probably you know, is conducive to making it a lot thinner because you don't have to have as much crap to drive the screen. That's cool. Yeah, let's keep an eye out for that. I would like to see that, and I would actually really like to play around with that screen. Um, I would love to. I would love to do a teardown of it. Yeah, one of the things uh, that they want to do, SQFMI wants to do, is they want to make it really low cost, like their badgy thing. So I. I, I you know, if it's like 30, 40 bucks, I might pitch in and grab one just to see, you know, what it's like. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I would totally grab one of those. So our next RFO is productivity, unfinished product projects and letting go. I <laughs> saw this article on Hackaday. And I'm like, oh, my God, this got to talk about this subject. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Someone finally wrote an article directly to us. <laughs> <laughs> And it's so it's got some interesting sections, but the ones that I picked are like the doing only the interesting parts of projects. Mm-hmm. I I personally don't have a big problem with that, except building circuit boards. I really hate building circuit boards. It's kind of like, oh, that's why I started a company to build circuit boards. <laughs> so yeah. I don't have to build circuit boards anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because that's because that's because we're the opposite. You like building your circuits like you're you're like assembling your 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 pcbs and i i I, i've done that for too long (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i i love it i think that's it's just that's a completely different once i've gotten to that part in the project in general i know in my mind that i'm like 99 percent of the way there so it feels like i'm kind of walking across the finish line when i'm actually assembling my project um, it's just, I don't know. There's something, like I said, multiple times, it's therapeutic. Yeah. yeah mo- most of your projects don't involve firmware though. That's right. That's right. Yeah. A lot of mine do. So I'm, when I get to like building the circuit board, that's like the halfway mark. Yeah. Right. 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 And so I'm like, I'd rather just toss that to someone to make. And then I'm just going to start working on the firmware. Right. Right. In, in, in so many of the projects I've, I've worked on the, the PCB, if I've already gotten to the PCB, then there's a really good chance I've proven everything on that board. 
mm-hmm. already. And I know it already works because I've already built it in some other way. The, uh, the, the PCB to me is, is like, I'm, I'm committing to this project in reality, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think I have a big problem with doing the only interesting parts. Basically, if I get to the point where I have to order the material, I'm already halfway through the project and all I'd love to do is code. And I actually like doing embedded F, uh, code. I just don't like hand placing parts. Yeah. Understandable. So is there any parts of projects that you don't like? Uh, parts of projects I don't like. Let me think about it. Well, I can, I can tell you guaranteed my favorite part of a project is layout. I just PCB layout. I think that's PCB layout is a lot PCB of PCB layout is just amazing. And I love doing that. The probably the part that I don't like, and maybe this is more towards the analog side of things is the initial, like the schematic figuring out all the, all the values, doing all the calculations and things like it's just, it's just not as fun. It's all right, but there's there just I'm, I I like to to as I go along start eliminating as much uncertainty as possible. And the schematic part always makes for the most uncertainty. You know, it's like, well, you could do it 15 trillion different ways. What's the one way you're gonna pick it? Uh, you know, pick to do it and narrowing down as to like what Steve has chosen for his you know, method of accomplishing a task. Sometimes I find that a little bit, first of all, daunting. And because of that, not fun. That makes sense. Yeah. And so the, uh, the next, next one I liked on his list, him as in, uh, Steven Dufresne, Dufresne. Is that how you pronounce that? Dufresne? I do not know. <laughs> oh, you said it the same way I did it. So we're close, I guess. It's actually Dufresne. Like, Andy Dufresne from the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, it, it's uh, getting lost on a tangent. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's like speaking to <laughs> us. <laughs> <laughs> and that happens all the time with my projects. Now, I don't think it's ever killed a project, but it's definitely has expanded the scope of projects like 40 fold. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, the example is like working on on this wagon and I was going to like, okay, I was going to put new door door panels on the inside of the doors. Okay. Because the old ones are mildewy and moldy. They got wet a lot and they don't look good. So I ordered some door panels and uh, some fresh door panels. And I'm like, okay, when I'm pull the door panel off, I'm going to clean, you know, the door, the door down, remove some of the rust with the grinder and then vacuum out the doors so that there's, you know, all the water can come out of it and basically like freshen mm-hmm. up the door get into it and basically find out is like all the mechs in the doors are crusty and need to be clean. And I'm like, Oh, that's probably why they don't work too well. So then you end up disassembling the door all the way. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. And now you got the doors all disassembled and you're like, well, I'm already in here and it took like, I, you know, it takes like three hours to fully disassemble a door. I, I should replace the seals while I'm here. Right. Right. And it just and it, so now I'm replacing the seals and I'm like, oh, I have the glass out. I should probably clean the glass really well because it's, you know, you can't clean underneath the seals when the glass is installed. And so I'm like, oh, I'm just going to clean the glass and I should polish it while, it's, while I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so basically it ends up instead of being like a two hour job per door, it's like four afternoons per door. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> and it gets worse when you start do, doing the kind of thing where you're like, 
you were saying replace the gaskets when you start saying like, well, I could make a mold and mold my own gaskets, like make my, you know, I, I'm not there. <laughs> I, no, I can. I, the thing is, I can order the parts. So yeah. Well, and, and in this guy's article, he he's mentioning things like, well, you could make a CNC machine, a laser cutter and a 3D printer before you get to the real project, you know, using those tools to make what the real thing is. And then he's going to smell. Uh, he's going to ore his own aluminum to make the rails. Right. And then before that, he's got to create the aluminum, like the actual atoms. And then he's got to create <laughs> yeah, the universe. Yeah. Well, wasn't it uh, Carl Sagan that said <laughs> in order to bake an apple pie, you have to first invent the universe or some, something like that. I probably butchered it. Yeah. <laughs> say, say, same concept. Yeah. And I know I've totally done the exact same thing. Um, like, especially even with the CNC, I, I have a CNC. Well, I have pieces of a CNC that are in a storage facility right now. <laughs> and I could just reassemble my CNC because I got okay results for the kind of things that I was doing. And in the future, the kinds of things I'm doing, it, it, it would probably service me fine. But I do have this idea of buying a welding machine and designing a frame and changing things over to ball screws as opposed to chains and you know all of these things but in reality the whole reason i even want would want to do all of that is so i can get back to doing the projects that the cnc is used for so is the cnc of the project itself or is it just a stepping stone to complete whatever the next project is yes this 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 is chicken soup for the soul right here for the engineering soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so go check out that article by uh, Steven. Not the Steven, yeah. other Steven. Like every single one, I'm like, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's almost like going to a therapist, oh, yeah. this article. <laughs> you know, actually, with that, with that exact same... So for the next topic, that exact same emotion that you just gave applies. So think of... Think of like King of the Hill, you know, when when uh, the television show King of the Hill, when they're all standing outside drinking a beer and everyone's just like, yep. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what happened to me today? You know, we're, we're going to cover a, a topic here of something that happened to me today. And I bet you most of our listeners are just going to stand back and be like, yep. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because it has happened to them, too. <laughs> so I was I was on the CNC mill today uh, just cutting some really simple aluminum. It was some soft stuff. It wasn't even real hard aluminum. And I'm, I'm doing some drilling and tapping. And anytime anyone starts with a story where it's like, hey, I was doing drilling and tapping, everyone goes, well, I know what happened. You broke a tap, didn't you? And it's like, yep, I broke a tap today. And for anyone who's broken a tap, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, it's awful. It is like the worst thing you can possibly do with a piece of metal is break. I'll say (laughs) breaking a tap could be one of the things in that article from Steven breaking a tap have sunk projects. Absolutely. Breaking (laughs) a tap. There is a, there is a split decision when you break a tap where you stop and you go, okay, do I try to do anything or do I just give up? And both Options are valid when you break a tap. Yes. Yeah. It depends. It's like, so my, my decision there, if I break a tap, I'm like, okay, is this something I can immediately replace 
or should I spend time trying to figure out how to get this tap out? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if it's if it's raw stock, like I'm just like building a bracket or whatever, I fucking just throw that thing in the recycling bin. It's done. And start it's over done. again. <laughs> I'm like done. <laughs> I'm not going to mess with it. Let's just start over, make that new thing. But if it's not, if it's something old, like like a bracket or a, a very special like housing or something. Yeah, you gotta spend time trying to get that oh, stupid yeah. tap out. Yeah, well, and 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 here's the thing that's funny. Okay, so the the stuff I was I was just modifying the jaws to our vice that goes in the the mill. I was adding some some screw holes for some uh, work holding that we're doing. It it it'll make work holding a lot easier for us. And I just I, I broke one tap in one of the holes. I was doing a six thirty two tap and got I I'm not even joking. Just like one eighth of an inch of the tap in there. So it's like just at the top and it's really soft aluminum. It still took me two hours to dig that stupid tap out of soft aluminum. <laughs> and, and, the, and the best part was yesterday, um, just before I left work, I was having a chat with my boss and uh, we were kind of like discussing what we want to do with the, the jaws on the vice and we both came up with those ideas. It's like, okay, we can just drill and tap it. That'll be an easy little project and things. And I, and I was joking with him just at the end of the day. And I was like, you know what really sucks? Breaking a tap in a, in a vice, but we're going to be really careful. That's not going to happen. And he came and visited me today after I broke the vice. He's like, hey, how's it going? I was like, I broke a, a tap. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's awful. But yeah, no. So I had to spend two hours with like a screwdriver trying to like, dig my way through there and and the whole reason why i want to bring this up is a little bit because you know it's one of those kind of topics where everyone's like yep been there before you know nostalgia kind of thing terrible nostalgia but also i brought it up because i wanted to ask the question there's got to be a word for that for the opposite of nostalgia bad nostalgia like nightmare yeah there's got to be a certain well nightmare (laughs) is a dream a bad well it's actually same thing a dream is typically used as a good thing that you think about when you're sleeping nightmare is a bad thing so what's the opposite of nostalgia in that regard uh i'm i'm there is a reddit post about this asking is there a word for nostalgia in the negative sense uh painful memories (laughs) 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 or how about uh regret is is one also yeah that's uh trauma (laughs) How about malmories? You know, because the prefix mal means bad, so it's like bad memories, malmories. Trauma is a better yeah, is, yeah. is the best because it's because because the thing about nostalgia is it explains a lot of different kinds of emotions mixed up and and it's an explaining an event, whereas like regret doesn't really do that. True. True. Well, and, 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 and actually, I think in this situation, well, maybe maybe in, in other situations also, but hindsight also works pretty well, too, uh, because hindsight allows me to look back and be like, well, although I don't really think I could have done anything different because it just it broke very, very easily. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I wasn't doing anything. Ridiculous. We're using uh, we're using tap oil. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Plenty of it. OK, so. Yeah, probably not. It's probably just a bad tap or uh, tap oil. I it was it, I was not doing it by hand. I actually had it chucked up, so it was held vertically, like on the hole, so it wasn't going in at a weird angle or anything. It's just it might have just been its time. But uh, one of the questions I wanted to kind of bring up with that is, 
do you have a method for removing a broken tap? Hopes and prayers. <laughs> Hopes and prayers. Yeah, sending all the thoughts and prayers. Good vibes. <laughs> yeah. Press like. Give me all the likes yeah. on, on Facebook, and that will help the tap come out. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, okay, so so I've what I've seen before is, you know, you can take a screwdriver, and if you if you hit the meatiest part of the tap, if you're lucky, you might be able to counterclockwise ha- hammer it out. But on a 632 tap... It's so tiny, you know, you might be able to do that on like a half, mm-hmm. you know, half inch tap or something like that. But on a 632, you just start munging things up. And on top of that, it was stuck in aluminum, which at first might sound like, well, that's better because it's softer. But as soon as you hammer it, it deforms. And then it, yeah, so that's like, that doesn't help out. And that makes it actually harder. Uh, I haven't tried to get a tap that small out. Um because usually when a tap like that for me breaks, it's like farther down and your best option is just to just drill it out. But taps are so damn hard. Oh, they're so hard. And when they, when they shear, they don't ever tend to shear like flat. They're always at some like really sharp angle. So if you try to put a drill bit through it, the drill bit just walks and it chatters like crazy. And yeah, you got to, you have to grind it uh, flat. I've also welded stuff to yeah. uh, taps and pulled them out that way. Like, you know, when like if you shear bolt head off, you can weld a stack on top and back it out. I've done that before. Uh, let's see what other weird ways. I've tried. There's an acid met- method. You can dissolve it. I've never had that work for me. I, I, I saw AVE had a video about that. And he he, it looked like it worked for him, but at the same time, plausible. I think it was plausible <laughs> at best. <laughs> I could never get that to work. Maybe because I was too like, um, I was hoping it would work faster. Um, what other ways have I gotten taps out? I, I still think my favorite, the fastest way ever, though, is if you can, is seriously just drill it out. And then put like a helicoil or a new insert in it. If you have to keep that thread size, that is like the fastest way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if it's big enough, getting the, a a chisel in there to back drive it, so to speak, like you were saying with the screwdriver, that works really well. If it's big enough to yeah, for if that you have happen. a nice flat that you can hit on. And I have some some tools like if you have like a a a three flute tap, which is like the common tap. Um, they make a tool that has like three prongs that come out of it and you can, and you slide that down the tap and then you can back it up. I don't know if they make any that small, but I've seen that definitely for like quarter 20. Okay. Yeah. 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 I I think I've come to the conclusion that you just have to accept that if, if you're trying to tap something, it's just, it's a possibility. It could happen. You know, you could you could do everything mm-hmm. right, and it still <laughs> breaks on you. Yep, especially I've had brand new, you know, twenty dollar taps just break on me before, and I'm like, well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I finally got the six thirty two tap out after like two hours of digging at it, and uh, I just bumped it up to an eight and went with an eight. But that means, but I had already drilled and tapped <laughs> other holes, so I had to open them up. 
and then re-tap them with a new tap. Oh. <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> yeah, the uh, some of the fixtures that work, we originally designed them with two 48 taps. That ended up being like, we would breaking those taps off like crazy. Oh, I remember you were you were kind of pissed. <laughs> yeah. And then I basically redesigned the jig to use was it 432? 440? Yeah. Yeah, 440. So 440? I can't remember. Yeah, so it used 440 and that solved that problem basically. 440 is pretty small uh for a tap still, but Yeah. I have no problem. What I do on the fixtures when I build them is I just actually chuck a 440 tap into the drill and just Right. Yeah. Right. The two fifty sixes can't. You can't do that. <laughs> well, okay. So my the, the holes I was tapping were blind holes, uh, so I can't just go straight through it. They were they were one inch deep, so they're pretty deep. Um, but I, I I was I don't want to, you know, drill a blind hole with a with a hand drill <laughs> or tap tap it. Yeah, hand like, drill. Oh, that's kind of scary. <laughs> that's an even better way to break it. Oh yeah, if you bottomed out, you'd either you would pull your threads. I'd guess is what uh, would happen. I, I, that that tap would break all the way down. Or shear, then. or shear. Yeah, you'd shear it at the surface, <laughs> or you'd pull the threads. <laughs> all of it is a no go. All of it is a is a restart. Yeah, action. all of it's bad. So the last topic is also kind of in the same genre. I guess is uh, Raspberry Pi development. So this is something I noticed when I've been working on this uh, RTL SDR for the Wagon is Raspberry Pi development is messy. How so? It's just, it's not clean. Like you have this little tiny board and it, yeah, sure. That looks really cool. But then you have a, you have to have a USB hub that's powered. So you have enough power for all your devices and then you have cables everywhere. It's just, it's just a mess. <laughs> yeah. Because like, because what the thing with a computer, like a big computer, is the computer gets set up and it has enough weight to stay there, and so all the cables just kind of get, you know, you just zip tie all the cables behind it, so it all like stays there. Where the Raspberry Pi is so light, it just flops right. around everywhere, and it just it just bugs me. You should make like an iron plate for it that it mounts to. Oh yeah, like a like and I really need like a keyboard that the Raspberry Pi just plugs into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something like it's, that. I know exactly what you're talking about. There, there's some projects I've, I've done in the past where I was having a Raspberry Pi that was powered power over Ethernet. So that required its own dongle. And it had, you know, multiple wires coming out of it. And then that went off to multiple outputs. And I had a Wi-Fi connector thing. And I had a keyboard connected to it. And yeah, you're right. It is messy. It's just awful. <laughs> Yeah. So if anyone out there uh, knows a way to clean that up, you could get a pie awesome. top, right? Yeah. I oh, think yeah. It's those laptop things. And you get the screen, the keyboard, and the pie. Does it come with a pie? I think it does. Uh, yeah. And then you have like the whole development station, you know? Yeah. That'd be cool. This yeah, is cool. Might- and another thing. Oh uh, yeah, and you can slide the keyboard down, and you have access to all the all the actual connections on there. Yeah, all hardware. the hardware. That might be a a good solution for you. Although I mean, it's a three hundred dollars solution. It's not. It's not like an iron plate, like I said. 
It's not a cheap solution. No. <laughs> I can yeah, make an iron exactly. plate tonight. <laughs> and the cool thing is I have a... I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast. Is I have a... I think it's an iPad 3 screen with an HDMI adapter on it. And it actually wor- it works hmm. with the Pi. So you could make your own Pi top. So maybe I should make my own. Maybe, yeah. Put a mechanical keyboard... Oh, yeah, dude, we're doing exactly what that article said. Don't do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I already have the screen and everything, and I just need a mechanical keyboard. Oh, we have to design the keyboard and 3D print the keycaps, and then. Yeah, and then, yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> you know, and then you can start development. Yes, on my RTL right, exactly. SDR, right? Which. That in and of itself is a um, project for your bigger project. <laughs> yes, I know. <sighs> oh, so I just remembered going back to the broken taps being sucky. So I'm putting those door skins into the wagon. And so how am I how I'm doing it is I'm because uh, they're just plastic. And so I'm drilling holes into them and then putting riv nuts into the doors. Okay. Right. And then I'm having these really nice, you know, button head, uh, Allen like bolts, okay. I guess is a good way to put it uh, into the door. And so I'm like zipping up all the door panel because I was all done with my my electric ratchet. And the they use a three thirty second uh, Allen okay. socket. And I I guess I just like stayed on the gun a little too long, oh. sheared it right off. And the thing is the it broke off and it stayed in the head of the Allen socket. <laughs> really? And, and there's a button head, so it doesn't have any yep. edges. So how I got it out is I took the, I took my four and a half inch grinder with a, with a death wheel in it and then made a slot in it and then use a flathead <laughs> screwdriver to get it out. And I have that right here. You oh, see how it, it yeah, just no lie. Wow. <laughs> oh, that sucks. And this is the other thing. Oh, man. Another big gripe of mine is this was part of a kit of like 50 Allen socket, uh, Allen ratchet sets. So one out of 50 is broken. It'll never be complete. So I had to go online and find someone that was selling just one. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when you lose your 10 millimeter uh, socket wrench. Oh, yeah. Which you do. Your whole entire kit. Yeah, right. Because you always lose a 10 millimeter. And uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, okay. So one one more quick tangent. I lost the 10 millimeter out of my set. And the 10 millimeter was the exact right size for potentiometer nuts uh, on on guitar amps. And when I was doing repairs (laughs) full time back in the day, you know, a single guitar amp, I might have to pull 20 or 30 nuts off. And it was infuriating <laughs> you think you would go to like harbor freight and buy one well i did but but like for for a few days i was like i'm just gonna find it i know it's just floating around somewhere and then i had to break down and buy no i didn't i did not find it even after i moved out of the shop i did not find that 10 <laughs> yeah you never find those things <laughs> uh so you want to wrap up this podcast Stephen? yeah yeah let's go ahead and do that um, so that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. Take it easy.
Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, topic, or horror stories with taps, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at MacFab.com or suggest a topic on the Slack channel. We're looking for new ideas for a contest for next spring. So, yeah, let us know if you have an idea. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.